Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. All right, so today we're going to be talking about mixing, and by that we mean combining using positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement during training or possibly other quadrants. I think this is kind of a topic that we have alluded to talking about a lot in the past, but we've never really focused in on it. And it's also possibly like a controversial topic. So that will be kind of interesting to discuss, I think. I mean, I feel like I kind of have mixed opinions on it, too. I see both sides, but obviously being interested in science, I try to stay more toward that side. So I don't know. I don't know if you want to start with any studies you found or notes from blogs or anything. I don't know what kind of information you have saved. There's kind of actually a lot, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I found a lot as well, but for me, it was hard to find stuff that was specifically on like pure positive reinforcement or, you know, as close as possible you can get to that. Cause I guess that's another thing we should specify is that to some extent, you can't really train fully in one quadrant. So somebody could argue that any form of training is mixing just because you're going to inevitably kind of move into other quadrants just a little bit by you know, accident or just by the nature of what you're doing. Like, even if you're trying to use fully positive reinforcement, sometimes, you know, just like walking near a horse to begin the session or even looking at them or things like that can be considered pressure. Or when we, you know, get into using tactile cues, even when they're taught with positive reinforcement, you could argue that there's some element of pressure there because there is some type of touch there. So, I mean, you know, that's just a few examples, but I think yeah, we should specify that as well. So people aren't like, oh, it's not possible to do only positive reinforcement. Like, yeah, we're aware of that. And we are not disagreeing with that. But we just are talking about like intentionally combining positive and negative reinforcement, or again, other quadrants in your training. So it's more of like an intentional thing than, you know, just a teeny bit of like, oh, you know, you might accidentally be, you know, doing a little bit of a different quadrant when you're not meaning to. So just want to specify that. And then um, back to what I was saying, I had trouble finding studies that were looking at just positive reinforcement versus like positive and negative reinforcement or like them. I, I was able to find some that were just negative reinforcement with mixing positive and negative reinforcement. And so that was helpful, but I just wish that there had been a few more studies on just positive reinforcement versus mixing. That's true. It was hard to find things that were really specific. Like I know a lot of the ones I sent you kind of had elements of what we were looking for, but weren't exact. Like the one about the context-seeking behaviors, that one wasn't necessarily about mixing, but it kind of had some ideas we could jump off of. So maybe we could start with that one. I don't know. There's so many and I don't usually have notes, so I actually feel lost with them. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I actually yeah the one that you sent is a good one and then there's actually a couple of studies that have been done that I'm aware of that talk about the contact seeking behavior so there is the one from 2022 that's by uh I'm not totally sure to pronounce her name but she's amazing Renate Larson I'm not sure how you say it but is that the one that you found yeah that's the one that I have the most notes on probably <laughs> yeah so I mean that is a a big one and obviously it's a very recent from 2022 so that's a really important one and then there is also one called positive interactions lead to lasting positive memories in horses by carol sankey at all from 2010 that one also talks about 
how horses who are trained using positive reinforcement have I guess like positive reactions to humans during training and then after training it, it it still led to increased contact from the horses toward the humans the horses were still approaching the humans like even months later despite no further interaction with humans so that was really interesting and it also showed that the contact seeking behavior extended to like new people as well not just the trainer who had done the positive reinforcement so i think that's really interesting that we can kind of see this same result from a couple of different studies. And then, I mean, also just as an anecdote, I've actually noticed this in my own personal life because today my friend Melissa actually texted me and was like, I've noticed that Charlie is getting so like friendly and wanting to approach people and stuff like that. And he previously was not like that because he went through a lot of medical problems and was having a lot of possibly unpleasant interactions with humans trying to treat his medical issues. And then at the same time, Melissa stopped working with him and his owner wasn't able to be there as much. So there was sort of a period where he wasn't having a lot of positive interactions with humans and he was just having the medical treatments. And so he became a lot less friendly. And then now Melissa has noticed that he's becoming more friendly. So I think that's really interesting to just kind of see it in daily life too, that when I've been doing positive reinforcement with him, he's getting more curious and more interested in people. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that a lot with all the horses I have now and even horses at work and I've only been there for about a month. I'm not like formally training them, but I'm more than happy to take the horse's pace for everything. <laughs> and a lot of people just don't have that. But also I've talked about Wonder before on here where he used to just run away all the time. It was so hard to catch him. But when I started using positive reinforcement, now he approaches pretty much anyone and tries to see if they have anything for him or just get their attention or whatever. So it's been really cool to see that also in my own life. And we have studies to prove that it's not just anecdotal, which is awesome. Yeah, I agree. That's really cool that you've noticed that too. And I'm not surprised. I mean, I one of the things when I started doing in-person lessons with my trainer, Rachel, was that when I got there, I was like, whoa, all these horses are actually like approaching me and are actually like interested and want to participate. And that was just such a big thing for me that I had never seen in any other lesson place that I had been. So I definitely think that's something that we see a lot. And so that's one of those things where it's like almost what you would expect. But then, like you said, it's really cool that we have the science to also back that up as well. Yeah. And one thing in the 2022 study was that they did the, they did main samples to collect cortisol levels or measure cortisol levels to try to figure out their stress levels. And with these horses in both groups, they didn't notice a change. So one group just continued their normal training with traditional methods. And then the other group continued their training with traditional methods, but also worked with a trainer to do some positive reinforcement training. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But the one thing that was a little iffy about it to me was that they were still receiving traditional training along with the positive reinforcement. So I feel like measuring cortisol, knowing that they're still living their regular life might not be the most accurate. Yeah, that is, that makes a lot of sense. And that's really interesting. I feel like that kind of relates a little bit to what I was saying about like, it's tough when you don't have quite the comparison that we're looking for here. Like it's just the studies that we have available aren't quite 
exactly what we're looking for. And so hopefully that will change as there is more, you know, interest in this topic and more people doing studies on it. That's really interesting that they didn't see an increase in the cortisol for when they were, I guess, doing the traditional training. That kind of another study that I looked at was the use of blended positive and negative reinforcement in shaping the halt response of horses. That's from uh, November 2007. And this one, they found that they sort of looked at horses trained with negative reinforcement and then horses trained with both positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement at the same time. So basically negative reinforcement versus mixing. And again, I really wish there had been a positive reinforcement only group, but they found that versus just the negative reinforcement group, the mixing group actually showed less stress behaviors in the sense that they shook their heads vertically less and they also had a rounder outline so they sort of by that they're saying that they had better I guess like better I guess body posture so I thought that was really interesting because they're showing that including positive reinforcement here seemed to make it less stressful for the horse even though negative reinforcement was still being used. And that kind of, you know, goes against a little bit what I would think, just because I think when you're using positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement at the same time, it's a little bit unclear of, you know, what is actually going on there? Like what is reinforcing the behavior or, you know, what is the most salient reinforcer? And I just think it can get a little confusing there. But that study, obviously only one study seems to show that it's more beneficial to mix than to just use negative reinforcement for the stress level. Yeah, I actually found something similar in the Applied Animal Behavior Science book under the application of learning theory and horse training. And they said basically the same thing that research shows that combined reinforcement mixing basically causes the aversive effects of negative reinforcement to be lessened. And they cited two studies, but I couldn't actually find them. So I don't know what the studies said. I have to look harder, I guess. But one was McKinley, 2004. And then one was Warren Smith and McGree. 2007 and they didn't list the title of the study so it was really hard to try to sift through everything to find those that is interesting and the 2007 one from warren smith and mcgreevy is the one that i was just talking about so i did find that one which found cool. one um <laughs> <Okay>. yes <laughs> i forgot to say it was by them it's the authors were kind of written in a weird place on the site so i didn't write it down but yeah the use of blended positive and negative reinforcement in shaping halt response forces by warren smith and mcgreevy from 2007 so that is a really interesting one and I think that's really important to bring up because I think like in general, I do take a little bit more of a critical view on mixing in the sense that I worry that it can be stressful. So to see like there actually are these studies out there right now that are showing that it can still be beneficial, at least in the context of like negative reinforcement on its own versus mixing is really interesting. And I think, you know, as a science based podcast that we want to make sure that we're sharing those. And, you know, despite having our own opinions and me having my own opinion that I believe there's also evidence for, we still want to share this evidence as well that, you know, there is a benefit to mixing. And yeah, we don't want to give a one-sided, I guess, view of it or leave any important things out. So yeah, I have definitely done my best to research and get the information that I can find. So yeah. 
Yeah, same here. And I think it's important too, though, to recognize that they're talking about mixing positive and negative reinforcement, not mixing with punishment. So I feel like if you're using positive punishment and positive reinforcement, that would probably cause a lot of issues and conflict within the horse, maybe some frustration. So that's way different. But also the line between negative reinforcement and positive punishment is pretty small. So that's why it's really complicated and why I choose personally not to do it with my own animals. Yeah, that's a very good point. That is a very kind of thin line there. And it's very easy to cross that line. And I would say that I have personally seen very, very few, if any, you know, negative reinforcement trainers that don't use at least a little bit of positive punishment, same way that unintentionally positive reinforcement trainers may use negative punishment. Hopefully, you know, we're going to try to minimize that. But unless we're constantly feeding the horse, it's possible that there's going to be some element of negative punishment there. You know, so I think that's just something that positive reinforcement trainers kind of have to to understand and to say, like, I want to kind of minimize the use of negative punishment. So having other food sources available or feeding, you know, at a really high rate of reinforcement, or just making sure that you're not seeing your horse getting really stressed and showing signs of stress. I think those things are really important there. So yeah, I definitely think that just saying, you know, I'm only using negative reinforcement, I'm not going to move into positive punishment at all. I think that's probably really difficult to do if even possible at all. So when we're talking about mixing, I would say that it's pretty fair to assume that somebody who's mixing with negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement may be bringing a little bit of positive punishment into that as well. So I definitely think that that's where, like you said, a lot of the concern kind of comes out because positive punishment, I mean, it is basically intended to stop that behavior and suppress that behavior. And that's kind of the opposite of what we are looking for with positive reinforcement and with just the mindset that a lot of positive reinforcement trainers have of wanting the horse to be able to communicate things and wanting the horse to express themselves. So in terms of like just missing communication signs that might happen if you're using punishment because the horse may not feel safe to express those. And then also if you're doing free shaping or anything like that, and you're not, you know, giving the horse complete, I guess, like freedom to express that without the fear of punishment, then they may not want to offer behaviors and they may not want to engage in that free shaping process, which to me is really sad because that's one of the coolest things about positive reinforcement is that the horses can be so creative and they can offer behaviors and really involve themselves in the process without being afraid of consequences. So when you add in those consequences, it kind of takes away that element that I find to be one of the most important things. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like the use of punishment and sometimes even negative reinforcement really limits their ability to communicate or I guess their comfortability with communication. And one thing too that's a little different than intentionally mixing in a training session would be like most of us have crossover horses. So if the horse can already wear a halter and lead and they're not showing a lot of stress signs, I personally don't see an issue continuing to lead them that way. But if they're pulling their nostrils back and their mouth is tight and their eyes are wide, then you might want to look into that and maybe retrain it. So it's kind of a lot of just knowing your horse, which we say a lot, but they're all individuals and what works for one horse might not work for another. Yeah, that is a really good point. And I think that also kind of brings up the question of like, mixing within a training session versus just teaching different behaviors in different ways, or I guess, continuing to use a negative reinforcement top behavior without changing it to positive reinforcement. Those are kind of two different things. So 
but they could both possibly be considered mixing like in terms of the trainer using both quadrants in different times, I guess. And I think that, you know, Shauna Karish has said a little bit on that about how if there is a behavior that she either feels should be taught with negative reinforcement or was previously taught with negative reinforcement, she may continue that. Although she may also reward after sort of with the cherry on top, like negative reinforcement with the cherry on top. But then in other situations, when she's training with positive reinforcement, she wants to make sure that she's not intentionally using negative reinforcement in that session, just because of a lot of the factors that we've already said about how it can limit the horse expressing themselves and it can just create some of those problems. And I read a little blog post or some type of quote by Shauna. And I can't verify the science behind this. So if Shauna was incorrect on her science, then please don't blame me. But she basically was saying that when you are using positive reinforcement with a horse, it's basically going to like light up the seeking system in the brain. So that's going to cause basically release of dopamine and endorphins. So kind of like feel good chemicals in the brain as they're getting their food and they're working for that. And then on the other hand, when you use punishment, that's actually going to kind of light up the fight or flight system, which is going to produce cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And so when you're kind of having these two different processes happening in the brain, that can lead to a lot of confusion and a lot of just weird things happening for the horse and a lot of anxiety over not really knowing whether it's going to be the feel-good hormones or, you know, the kind of like very stressed negative ones. And again, I think that's at, at best, that science is very, very simplified. At worst, there might be something that's not correct there. I'm not totally sure, um, like I said, but I do trust Shauna. So I think she knows what she's talking about. Yeah. So I think that's something to think about as well, just in the sense that you're going to be dealing with two different elements of the horse's brain and how they're thinking and reacting. So when you're mixing those, you have to be really careful that you're not going to create some type of confusion. And then I think, you know, this can also lead into poison cues and all sorts of other things, but I'll just, you know, stop there for now. Yeah, that's so true. And I feel like, I mean, I'm not a neurologist, so I don't know (laughs) what chemicals the brain makes, but it would make sense that the feel-good chemicals would come from tuning into the seeking for repetitives and that the cortisol would tune into the fight or flight or avoidance reactions. So I feel like Shauna's probably right on that. It makes sense. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click, Treat, Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training!